Welcome to the uh, Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon hosting with you here. Uh, also, Charles Goldman with me. And in the in sandwich in the middle, we've got David Houston. We're going to talk about compost. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, President Trump. Yeah, is it a matter of if or when he's going to be impeached uh, with some of the latest things that have been happening? We'll also talk about uh, what happens in the Arctic, not staying in the Arctic, as we uh, are well aware here in the uh, Midwest and the uh, Northeast part of the country. We'll talk about um, how Kansas has failed tax scam. Seems to be catching fire in other states, including Iowa. We'll talk about the uh, bombing in Syria and how that's getting mixed reviews and also how um, a lot of folks across the country are pushing back against the big banks that have financed pipelines and other fossil fuel projects. Again, first, we're going to talk about compost, what I want to be when I grow up. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And David is with uh, Homes for My Peeps. He's doing a lot of great work in uh, the inner city of Des Moines. Yeah, that I am. That I am. Yeah. Yeah, we got uh, an event coming up May 12th uh, at Edna Griffin Park. Uh, it's located at 1603 uh, 13th Street. So it's going to be a... a it is, it's National Compost Awareness Week, so it starts from the 6th and goes all the way through the 12th. We are actually hosting an event that Saturday, which is the 12th, which is uh, probably start around 2 o'clock and go and, uh, till a set, 7, yeah. maybe until. And I did not know there was a National Compost Awareness Week. Yeah, yeah, there is. It's yeah. A, and it's, it, how, how come it's not Compost Appreciation Week? I'm not sure, man. I'll, I'll put in a little email and ask that question. You know, I, I had the same question years ago when I discovered there was a national uh, accordion awareness week. Like, aware. Be, be careful. There's accordions out there. I mean, what's going to be accordion appreciation week? Hmm. Anyway, why not, why not compost appreciation week? Because there's a lot to appreciate about compost. Oh, there is. There absolutely is. Uh, especially that the, uh, we're trying to restore uh, our soil, so there's a, an essential need for that. Um, so what kind of composting goes on at this uh, park in, in uh, Des Moines? Uh, just organic materials uh, such as grass clippings, uh, food scraps, uh, yard waste, stuff like that. Yeah. And so the event is going to focus on on how people can learn to make compost at their homes? Uh, well, actually, uh, that as well as uh, uh, promote the initiative that we have set forth. Uh, we have a compost uh, uh Initiative, like I said, that we are actually um, providing buckets we have for sale for uh, residents and then um, uh, local events that may want to compost uh, and trying to get uh, partnership with the Des Moines Public School Systems, local restaurants, so, and stores. So uh, places like schools, restaurants, events that produce a lot of wasted food. Wasted food, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible amount of wasted food. Yeah. And yeah. How, do you, how, do you, how do you process all of that? Uh, right now we started small, so we just we go out every Saturday and Sunday to go pick up uh, compost from our uh, local residents. Uh, we take it to uh, three or four sites, and we have the we'll be introducing that new site at us, mm. uh, 1603 13th Street. Okay, so and, yeah. And once the compost is uh, ripened, shall we say? Yeah, ripens a good word. How, yeah. how do you distribute it back out to be used to enrich the soil? Uh, well. For the the people that are involved currently, uh, we have a, a system set up for every uh, six but full buckets. They get a, a one bucket full of 
compost. So that's a, I see. So you just trade it's a trade right there. Yeah, yeah. There actually um, is some interest in even on some of the large-scale farmers who are doing the same sort of thing, which is the soil rejuvenation. Mm-hmm. Um, not just composting, but, you know, allowing worms and everything else to do the aeration, stop, you know, tiling and whatever else we do out there. I don't know. Ed would know since he used to farm. When uh, he used to farm. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, that Actually, that they're looking to have farms that do that designated in the same way we designate organic because in some ways, uh, obviously, organic has great advantages, um, but – you know, it doesn't always mean the technology they're using is as rejuvenating as putting compost down and allowing the natural processes to, you know, take place. So uh, that might make composting well, even more ex- popular. Especially in an urban area where you've had a lot of soil degeneration. I mean, you, right. can, go, you, can, you can dig up your backyard and think, hey, i got a nice patch of grass here. I can grow some food. And you'll find all sorts of trash, all sorts oh, yeah, of clay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who knows what? Maybe I, I found one part of my, my yard. I found a gravel driveway from the... From the Model T era, you know? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So that takes some effort to get that back to the point where you can actually grow food on it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Compost is an essential part of that. It is. It absolutely is. So uh, we try to do everything within reason um, and try to give back. Uh, I consider myself a a spiritual earth warrior, so I'm I'm definitely doing my job. And I I can vouch for your spiritual earth warrior credentials. You're doing great work, uh, David. Uh, So um. Yeah, and people don't understand that you know you you can't just get one of those black composting bins and throw things in there and walk away. You, that's that's not. It, you have to actually make compost. Right. Absolutely. You have to help it along. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to turn it for it to be truly organic compost. You have to turn your compost uh, once a week, uh, so four times a, a month. Um, and I probably do it every other week. Yeah, yeah. Um, I get away with that. We, but, uh, <laughs> there's, different, there's different types, too, man. We've got three-by-nine uh, compost bins made out of pallets. Uh, we have that, that black bin that you're talking about. Those are nice because they concentrate the heat. The heat, yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So you need temperature, you need the right carbon, you need the right... Some moisture. Moisture, yeah. yeah. So aeration. What other kind of materials can people compost. I, I mean, everyone, I think, probably knows organic, obviously organic materials, but even some of the, the waste. I know a dairy farmer yeah, who would compost. Food a, containers that can be used. I know a dairy farmer yeah. who would compost a, a cow when a cow died. Well, I, <laughs> that's, probably, that's probably not applicable in the city. <laughs> well, like newspapers. Um, so your old school newspapers, just the black ink, nothing with the uh, the glossy look. Um, right. Mm-hmm. Let's see, eggs, eggshells. Uh, they take eggs. a while. They take a while, though, eggshells. Yeah, yeah they yeah. Abs- actually do. Uh, so, yeah, all your food waste, uh, grass trimmings, uh, b- small branches, things things of that nature. Real small, because yeah, yeah. those branches will, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can break them One up. thing I found that does not compost very well is an avocado pit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> In fact, the whole compost pile can be all finished, You'll and that avocado, that yeah. it'll start growing an avocado. Yeah. <laughs> right. In fact, I've been to Ed's, and he served avocados from his compost pit to us. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Charles didn't know any different. No, <laughs> no it's, uh, I tell people it's like making a cake. You can't just, like throw it and greedy you can't throw an egg in and then come back the next day and throw a little flour in and no, it takes come back a couple days later throw some more flour in yeah it's a small science yeah so yeah you got to mix it all together yeah, you got to put it in the oven and wait and then turn it so yeah. it doesn't burn on one side definitely have to turn it yeah yeah you, you turn it every week yeah well you're yeah 
Yeah. Really? I think he said he turns it three or four times a week. Well, you know, he said once oh, a week. No. He just once a week? Yeah, three oh, or four yeah. times a month, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, three or four times a month. Got making it. me feel lazy, David. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, um, you know, and, and people think, well, I live in an apartment, I can't do this, but... I, I, you know, I, I've known folks who lived in apartments who would do um, um, vermiculture, mm-hmm. where they don't, you know, they don't, they don't even take it outside. They do it in their in house, the house, and it doesn't smell if it's done right. Right, absolutely. Have you done that kind of compost? Yeah, absolutely. That's the best, you know, uh, way to do things is if you do it to a point where you're not attracting, you know, gnats or that that smell, then you know you're on the right, mm-hmm. right, right path. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want rats with gnats on them in your house. In yeah, your apartment, or, yeah. Or, outside, or outside. You, know, you get yeah. the raccoons and yeah. uh, just rodents of, of all types. Another, another nice thing about those black bins is you can keep those creatures out. Out, yeah, absolutely. But, absolutely. But, but again, it is plastic, and I, I admire you know the, the folks who take the time to put together the, the uh, the wooden bins, which I think you've done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we've done quite a few. Yeah. So so do I do I am I am I overstating the case when I tell people that when I grow up I want to be compost. No, uh-uh, not at all. You think I make good compost? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the there's a saying out there. There's uh, there's there is there's truth. There is life after death. You know, through compost. That's, that's a true statement. <laughs> <laughs> so if I go before you, Dave, will you use me to fertilize your garden? Yeah, yeah. If it, you got to put that in writing. Though. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll put it in writing and maybe get a doctor's approval. Yeah, I don't know. They're gonna have to make it a big black box, though. <laughs> you it? No, I mean why, that's that's like burning good. I mean, why would you waste waste? Well, they, it would be increasing its carbon footprint at the wrong. Yeah, time. So it's like burning your leaves <laughs> instead of composting your leaves. Yeah. Well, I'll put the ashes in the compost. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, hey, David, thanks for joining us. And again, uh, remind folks in Des Moines about this event coming up. Yeah, you guys out there, please come to our event. It is May 12th. It is starts at 2 o'clock. It'll go to uh, 7. You'll have free food, um, activities, music, uh, and poetry. So and yeah. good food, too. You have Veggie Thumper coming, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Veggie Thumper will be there. Some other uh, food vendors will also be there. So we'll have a great time. All right. Uh, later in the program, uh, again, we'll be talking about... Um, about uh, the incredible cold weather that has persisted throughout the um, throughout March and April in the Northeast and in, in, in Midwest. We'll talk about the uh, failed tax scam in Kansas, which seems to be taken off in places like Iowa. We'll talk about what's happening in Syria, the mixed reviews there, and also about the um, pushback against the banks that are financing pipelines and other fossil fuel projects. But first... Well, before you start. Before I start. Before you start. All right, I, Charles, I, I, yes. I felt it necessary to bring this with me. Oh, what is this? To show you that it's not just, you know, Trump TV and okay. and uh, Breitbart that's out there it's trying been, to indoctrinate be good. us. It's better be good. Well, as you know, my son-in-law has a fairly prodigious appetite. So we were at an unnamed Asian buffet uh, yesterday. <laughs> and my grandson opens up his uh, fortune cookie and gets this fortune. The three huh? basic ingredients of the capitalist system are... Money, energy, and ideas. <laughs> Money, energy, and ideas. <laughs> this is, and yeah. energy means fossil fuels? Oh, I'm sure, yeah, sure they meant fossil fuels, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, hey, uh, Trump uh, just taking it to a new level with, uh, well, I mean, no, maybe it's not a new level. It's just, he's just doubling down. Now he's calling Comey a slime ball mm-hmm. um, and a bunch of other things. And uh, Comey is speaking candidly um, about, you know, what happened. Right. And uh, very few people who don't who don't have a bias seem to be seem to be you know comfortable that, with the level of honesty that is behind what he's saying. Who Trump or Comey? Comey, Comey. Yeah, I, I think 
I think more and more Americans are believing that it's hard to believe Donald Trump. Yeah, but I think also we're reaching a point where even those of us who are fascinated by politics uh, are becoming fatigued. And <laughs> and Trump basically at this point doesn't see any downside to saying whatever he feels like saying because no one really is pushing back. And um, I, mean, I, would, I would disagree. I think lots of people are pushing back. Who? Well, who? The Every Republican who pushes back is retiring. It <laughs> well, doesn't count. <laughs> well, that still counts for something. You've still got a, a, a slight, a, a smaller bully pulpit, and you've got Democrats pushing back. I know Democrats are virtually meaningless in the national political debate mm-hmm. uh, in terms of actually accomplishing anything, but they still have a significant bully pulpit, and that counts for something. And you've got the national press that are pushing back, and you've got more and more business interests that don't like what's going on. Uh, I mean, not oil and gas, you know, and right. and, and some of the uh, some of the uh, you know the, the the entities that have benefited from uh, you know Trump's policies, but there's a lot of them that don't like it. That's true, but I, I still don't see that there's any significant uh, check on what he what the agenda is, and right. the agenda does fit a very radical right segment of the Republican Party. They're perfectly. I mean, it's not just Trump. I mean, look at Pruitt. Yeah. But again, that's, you that's know, this a, is someone who he's got a Praetorian Guard of twenty security people <laughs> that we're paying for. We have nobody on the Syria desk in the State Department at the time that the president, at the beginning of the week, says we're pulling out. Yeah. And at the end of the week, is we're dropping one hundred eighteen missiles. Right? Correct. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, I guess the question is, um, you know, we're all assuming the blue wave, right? Well. Yeah, but I, and I've always said I, I wouldn't go too far in presuming that the blue wave is going to accomplish the full transition needed to do what Democrats would like to do. Correct, because of, <laughs> of the gerrymandering of the yeah, states. Well, and, and the anemic condition of the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party <laughs> would have to win about 60% of the votes, yeah. probably to flip the House. Yeah. Now, is that possible? Yeah, it's possible. And I think we talked last week about the fact that there are two, you know, two groups that have – traditionally poor voter participation, some of it obviously due to suppression, uh, but some of it due to just that's just not culturally what they have done in the past. And it's a mid-year election. And those two groups are Hispanic voters who it's hard to imagine a single Hispanic voter at this point uh, voting for a Republican. I even know Hispanic Republicans who aren't supporting Trump. Right. And the other group is Asian-Americans who yeah. have like 25 percent participation. So the Democrats need a strategy, and the strategy is not, isn't President Trump terrible, right? Now, the question is, on the other side, who may stay home this time? Because if the, if the strategy isn't President Trump terrible, then what is it? It's what's your program. Okay. Okay, fair enough. So the program could be that the Environmental Protection Agency is there to protect the environment, not to protect oil interests. The program could be that... Yes, you're going to you are you were thrown a pittance in your tax refunds, tax cut, you your know. tax cuts, right. but nothing compared to what your bosses got, <laughs> and um, and and nevertheless, economic growth in this country has not been accompanied by wage true wage growth for fifty years, yeah. and that is because of the model of of the Republican Party. Yeah, and, and yet, and yet, people and the field still the Democratic vote against the Wall Street. Their, people still vote against their best interest and blame others who are part of the same, you know, the same uh, erosion of, uh, of of well-being and wealth. 
Well, the you know what are the best interests going to be? The, it, let's flip that around again. The Republicans have been very successful in, in courting particularly the fundamentalists by saying it's the courts that matter. And in fact, it is the courts that matter because most of the law in this country is made in court. It's not made by legislatures because they throw things together that are uh, – Unconstitutional. Unconstitutional. Or, or unworkable. Yeah, right. And, and they rarely legislate anymore at the federal level. Yeah. I mean so um, it's the courts and they've been very successful at saying that it's not just the Supreme Court. It's these appointments that Trump is pushing through, right? Right. And the, well, the state when are the, when are liberals and centrists and progressives going to figure it out? Yeah. You know that should be our message. You want you want two more justices like Scalia? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just think the Democrats need to campaign on something, not that Trump is terrible. It's yeah. obvious. We already know that Trump is terrible. <laughs> now, what's really interesting right. is the the question becomes: let's let's go back to the Clinton era because the fundamentalists may be making the same mistake that the left made with Clinton, right? What would have been so terrible about letting President Clinton be impeached? It would have been ludicrous, obviously, over what he was being impeached yeah. for. Right. And remember the same people now who seem to want to give a mulligan to President Trump for every one of his you know, sexual peccadillos yeah. was screaming and yelling because of the sex act in the in the Oval Office. I wonder huh? how many mulligans Trump takes when he's playing golf in the week. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, to play golf. Probably, with an endless, probably an endless number. Correct. <laughs> but but let's 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 go back and ask the question of whether it wouldn't have been better. It wouldn't have been better to let Bill Clinton be impeached because who would have become president? Al Gore. Yeah. Al Gore would clearly, as president, have beaten George Bush. History is very different. You mean as, history as an incumbent, he would have beaten correct. Bush. History is very different if Al Gore is president in 2001. Uh, the other thing it would be that it doesn't it, – it leads to the position that for years pro- progressive well, feminists have had to defend their defense of Bill Clinton. Yeah, so, so jumping forward, you're suggesting that Democrats really don't want to see Trump impeached because they know they can beat him in November? What I'm I mean, saying it's a little what, bit of a different what, what I'm saying is is that I think that the the fundamentalist right is making the same mistake. They have for reasons that are somewhat bizarre tied their wagon to, to Trump. They have come well, somehow to believe he is the indispensable man. They have come to believe that God in some ironic and bizarre way, has chosen this man to be president. Because how else could he possibly be president? I'm sure the mark of the beast is on him somewhere. Well, but, I mean, maybe Stormy Daniels has seen it. But, my, but my point is, is that in many ways, they are, are about to make the same mistake, which is Pence would be a much more formidable opponent in 2020 right, and, and, than and Trump pro- would be. And probably do more overall damage as president than Trump, but he would not be as much of an embarrassment, and he would not um, run the risk of uh, alienating in the entire world. Correct. Uh, I mean, he wouldn't make the world uh, you know, feel warm and fuzzy toward us either. But, but it's, it, it's, it's, I find it really strange that no one on the, on the right has really come to that conclusion. Instead, they're yeah. just sticking with this. And, and you know what's happened, I think, is it's because they love sticking it to us, well, yeah, yeah. You know, to people who are progressive or liberal. Well, and especially to Hillary Clinton. Right. Who was, was neither, but anyway. Yeah, so <laughs> I, it, it's, it's a strange thing. But I, I would argue that maybe I wouldn't waste a lot of energy on impeachment. I would waste my energy if I took the House back on obviously 
investigating through it and and getting rid of what's going on I, on the I side. I think Republicans have more to gain by impeaching uh, impeaching uh, Trump than Democrats do. I would agree. Yeah. And I and I and I'm actually I, I I made a bet with a guy. Uh, you know who you are. Let's uh, <laughs> uh, last August that on August first of 2018, Trump would be gone, and I'm still sticking with that. I mean, I mean, I know it's getting closer. He's not gone yet, but the F, the 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 Russian deal continues to escalate. Comey is unleashed now. Mm-hmm. Um, Stormy Daniels is unleashed. <laughs> right. You know, and, and and none of these are. I mean, I mean, none of this is new, but more and more details come forward. It's like a, it's like, it's like snowflakes. Well, it's like us, Charles, like <laughs> snowflakes. If enough snowflakes get together, get organized, mm. we can break branches. And so, you know, I think at some point there's going to be enough evidence, enough uh, information that finally something breaks. And I think Republicans want that to happen because, again, you know, it's kind of the flip side of Bill Clinton in this case. Clinton was, was very much electable. Um, well, his popularity reached its highest point during the impeachment. I know, yeah, yeah. But, but the, the whole situation is so different in terms of the details uh, and in terms of the personalities. And I think Trump, like I said, I think Trump will be – if Trump holds on to 2020, it's, we're going to have a Democratic president. I, I would agree with but that, with as Pence, things are presently. With Pence, the Republicans have a better shot. So, And, they have, and they'll have a better shot in 2018. And this, the, in November midterms, they have a better shot of, of – minimizing the damage without President Trump dragging the ticket down. So I, I still think there's a lot of interest behind the scenes, quietly, among the Republicans in getting him out, getting him out of there. Well, what, what, what handcuffs them is that they fear being primary. That's why all these people are retiring, which is that they're going to have happen what the Tea Party did to the more conservative uh, middle-of-the-road okay, Republicans but, years ago. But how do you explain Paul Ryan's retirement? Ryan is, is – I, I think Ryan is the same scenario. I think Ryan you're felt calling, you're calling Ryan a moderate compared to the, <laughs> compared to the right. No, I, of course well, he's not. Of course he's not. But at least Paul Ryan was at least honest, you know. And he put out there that if you cut taxes, you have to pay for it, and that'll of course lead into the issue here in, in Iowa. Yeah. And he said, "I'm going to pay for it by cutting social services." He was at least honest. Most Republicans would just lie. You know, that's the best I could say for Paul Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> wow, ringing endorsement. All right. So, hey, let's take a short break, folks. We want to talk about uh, the um, – the, uh, well, uh, let's, go to, let's go to a conversation about Kansas sure. and the uh, tax cut. And we'll, we'll, we'll save the conversation about the Arctic and climate change for the next segment, uh, the segment after that. Uh, Charles Goldman and myself, Ed Fallon, in the studio with you back in a few minutes on the Fallon Forum. I remember you. Hey, welcome to the uh, Fallon Forum, broadcasting live from the uh, southern uh, portion of the uh, polar vortex uh, here in Des Moines, Iowa, the, formerly known as the Cultural and Culinary Crosses of America. Now, Formerly known as spring. Formerly known as a, a place <laughs> where we actually had spring. Now we just have winter. Woo, we'll have winter, we'll have summer. And some, somebody, mm-hmm. People will say, what happened to spring? We'll say, well, they got climate changed. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, Charles Goldman and I here in the studio, we're going to talk about Kansas's tax plan next because we're going to talk about the Arctic and about how what happens in the Arctic doesn't stay in the Arctic. Right. I mean, I don't know how hard this is. I see story after story in the newspaper um, that talk about, well, this terrible weather we're having. Um, and even, even one, one person quoted in the USA Today saying, well, you know, this, this, is, this happens once in a while. I mean, this, we just have this sort of weather. Um, what they don't say is that this is all of March and so far all of April. Right. With with maybe a couple days at or above the normal high, well, but you're, you're, now it's all 20, 10, 20, 30 degrees below. You're you, you know you're having your Rush Limbaugh moment where 
whether he, you bring the snowball into the um, into the studio to prove it was still cold outside during the winter. Right. Um, interestingly, Scott Pruitt at, at one point wanted to have a publicly uh, broadcast debate, red team, what he called the red team, blue team debate between um, those who scientists who believe that climate change is in fact affected <clears throat> by human activity. Uh, versus the various, you know, industry-paid scientists and the few independent ones. Yeah, there are many. Who disagree with that. Yeah. Um, and he was very, he was very forceful and almost Trump thought it was a great idea, um, but it was evidently uh, John Kelly nixed the idea, thinking this could not go well. Um, <laughs> you think? <laughs> th- this, this is the problem with our system. Our system is not built for thinking forward, and. In, in, in spite of all the, you know, discussion that people talk about, well, I want to leave the world better from, you know, for my kids, my grandkids, most people behave, what's best for me? I mean, you see it even in, in, in the sort of the situations like with Social Security. People who have Social Security, as it's presently constituted, want it to stay the way it is. And um, the only people who are going to be affected by that are going to be the, their children, grandchildren, who aren't going to have – that money there. Well, so sometimes we do look forward. We do see the big picture. Sometimes well, we're not. It takes us well. Well, you, you we're know. not, but, but this should be a no-brainer. I mean, because uh, war, warm air. What was, what was the group that you were working with that was talking about looking at, like, World War II? Uh, the climate mobilization. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's a great model. Yeah. We, you know. we, but it took us a while to get to do something, to finally do something about, about the atrocities that were happening in World War II. When we did, it was all hands on deck. We need that now. And this is an, I mean, I don't know how many moments we've had. Hurricane Katrina, mm-hmm. Sandy, the fires out west, and now this. But this is an easy one because warm air expands. And over the Arctic, it's been as much as 45 degrees above right. and, and, and it's pushing the jet it's stream pushing, further south. We it's understand. pushing it down it's, 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 it's very easy to understand. Yeah. Um, but again, it's very Americanocentric. Much of climate change is also about what's going on. In the Middle East, sure, leading to some degree to the Syrian civil war eight sure. years ago, mm-hmm. um, you know, drought areas expanding, f- you know, crazy flooding in places like Bangladesh and and of course these atolls in the Pacific that are disappearing, and the the, the, the uh, typhoons but, in the Pacific that have hit the Philippines. This is all part of a system, and it's very hard for people who are internet junkies, who are information junkies, to to go outside of that information and try to put a model on this. It's really not that hard. But, I mean, but it really is. Should be that, it it's, should we're not be educated. No, we're not educated no, to I, think I, in a much more global and holistic sense. We're educated about information, yeah. and that's what the internet's great at. The internet is great at information, and the the problem too is is that the the only people who really are looking into the future are corporations to some degree. Yeah, well, that's why the insurance and, industry and the U.S. Right. military. And the U.S. military. Yeah, they, they, they know what's and, happening. And what Americans are not seeing is, you know, you were talking about fracking last week. So there's two solutions to reducing uh, consumption, which is what is the reason that we have to produce more energy, which is the reason that we put more and more carbon dioxide and worse things like methane into the air and we're melting permafrost and letting the methane out of there. Mm-hmm. The, the problem is that there's two solutions to reducing consumption. One is to consume less, which no, is no, no cost, no which brainer. is no cost right. to anybody. Right. The second money. is to make energy cheaper so that you can make more to be consumed. And we as a society 
and as the biggest consumer in the world, have picked make energy cheaper. Well, I don't, so, think, the, I don't think the average person has picked that. No, the but this is— Corporations that buy our politicians have picked that option. And, and we elect those politicians sure. saying those very things. Because when, you know, when you're living on the coast in the United States, you are insulated from the real cost. The real cost of fracking is polluted water in the Appalachians, is earthquakes, earthquakes in the middle in of the country in Oklahoma. Yeah. You know, it's coal ash in, in streams in North Carolina. It, you know, that's what the – that's the problem is that people – educated Americans yeah. – People who did vote, you know, for Democrats, still they don't see it either because they drive around and they consume at the same level as other people. And they assume that the thing to do is make energy cheaper. No, energy should be more expensive. That's the best reason to not have pipelines built (laughs) is let energy become more expensive. Yeah. Well, it will one way or the other. Uh, I mean, it, it's so unless we get off when we get off fossil fuels completely and we found ways of uh, you know continuing to improve the technology for solar and and ideally, you know, smaller scale wind projects and and uh, and geothermal and all that. You know, then then maybe it will not be as expensive as it is now, and certainly not as expensive as it's going to be with the unreliability of fossil fuels looking forward. But I just I it's it's frustrating to me that that um, here in the heartland, where right now I mean I've been talking to some farmers who are you know usually they're out in the fields by now. Yeah, they're not out there yet. I mean, the fields are frozen still, and now after what just happened this past weekend, they're soaking wet. We had a we had a weather map of Iowa uh, this over this weekend. It mm-hmm. showed it showed um, blizzard conditions in the northwest counties, maybe about fifteen, sixteen counties, and just a hundred and fifty two hundred miles south in the southwest corner of the state, tornado watches. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, other there were other there were flood alerts in other places. There were. Um, I mean, in central Iowa, we had hail, thunderstorms, followed by a blizzard. Uh, you know? Well, it's just it's crazy weather, and it's, it's it's easily explained by what's happening in the Arctic. But it's the same whenever there's extreme weather. We say the same thing, and it it still doesn't link it. See, I mean, I know I know how you and I feel about climate change, but we have to link it in some way to the way we live. Not just that the weather's bad. Well, here's, here's, here's the way you link it. It's, this is going to have a huge impact on Iowa agriculture. Not just Iowa agriculture, but agriculture across the upper Midwest. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we're, farmers are already struggling. Just, just conventional farmers are already, uh, already have it rough for five years now. Right. And, I, I mean, I, maybe things will turn around. I hope they do. I hope things improve. But if this continues and we have other unpredictable weather that could even lead to a, a drought this summer... Or maybe even some flooding. I mean, it's the extremes that are going to get us. And right now we're experiencing an extreme of historic proportions. And we're breaking records left and right. And, and, that's and I've why, never seen a spring like this. And that's never why it like requires, as, as we said before, a mobilization-type mentality yes. that deals with this at every level. And, again, what you have in your house is part – not necessarily your house, but most people's houses – is part of the problem. And people just say, well, this is what I work for. You know, but yeah. your children and grandchildren are going to pay the price. And the rest of the world. And the rest of the yeah. world. Yeah. No, and, and, you know, I, we, the, the mobilization to fight Hitler happened, I mean, 
Pearl Harbor was the was the ignition. Yeah, that's what that's what that's what really kicked it off. Right. But uh, it took, are you a believer that FDR let it happen? No. Okay. <laughs> no. Okay. No, I don't subscribe to those things. <laughs> okay. But but it did take national leadership. It, t- it took elected political leadership to really. I mean, because we had there were back then, I think eight hundred thousand members of the America First Committee. It, it, it was a huge. Back I think then, that's a, huge a great that's a great point, which is that and bringing up America First. This was an anti-Semitic, isolationist country in the nineteen thirties. And again, I, and I, and FDR basically made the decision he was going to lead the country into the mobilization and into its yeah. involvement in the world. That's correct. And there was some political liability to that, but again, once it happened. You know the the America First Committee just kind of went away, right? You know? and uh, I, you know, and and I and I, I think um, we're going to need the same thing nowadays. Uh, you know, I, maybe President Al Gore might have actually done the right thing on climate. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have known that when he was campaigning because he never talked about it, right? <laughs> yeah, I had no idea that Al Gore was passionate about climate until well after he was out of the mm-hmm. political realm. Um, Just like John Bain is now passionate about uh, marijuana, evidently. Apparently not. Yeah, <laughs> we know what uh, we know. We know what Donald Trump's passionate about. Uh, that's pretty clear. Himself. Himself. Um, and uh, and 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 women that he can take advantage of, and a, and a bad game of golf. Anyway, but um, but you know, we, we we need that kind of leadership. And you know, my hope is that there's going to be such a strong pushback at the state and federal level to the policies that are being pushed right now. Mm-hmm. And some of them successfully, some of them not. But, but you know, the, the people will finally elect folks who can do the right thing on a number of fronts, but especially on this crisis that is not – it's just going to get worse. You know, and even if we start addressing climate change right now immediately, you know, and hit it real hard, it's still going to get worse. And what do you think would have happened under President Hillary Clinton? Uh, I think Hillary Clinton would have been status quo. Uh, like Obama. I, you mm-hmm. know, Obama was not the climate champion that people hoped he would be. Right. And I think Hillary Clinton would have been the same. She might not have approved, uh, re- restarted the Keystone Pipeline. Uh, she might not have reneged on uh, President Obama's um, decision on the Dakota Access Pipeline. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, given what she had been saying uh, and her track record, it was pretty clear she was not going to be the kind of climate champion that scientists uh, suggest we need. But, I mean... That said, a heck of a lot better than what we've got. But that's even that's not even even she would not have been what we need. Mm-hmm. We need somebody who is like FDR. is going to say we got a crisis and we're going forward. Right. Anyway, so let's go forward to another subject, shall we? If you're tired of politics and you don't really want to watch our, our live stream, you should watch Ed's video of the. Uh, Setting up the beehive yeah. yesterday in, in the 20, 25 degree weather. You know, I, I was a little worried about that. You know, do you, do you really want to set up bees in cold weather? But the, the bee folks, uh, Shannon and the Voli said, hey, you, you can make it work. And I noticed the only person who was wearing any protective gear was the guy who brought you the bees. Yeah. No, no, that wasn't the guy who brought the bees. Oh. That, was, that was our neighbor who's in, the, in it with us. Oh, but, okay. Uh, but uh, I don't know why he was. I mean, I, we're, we're going to make fun of him because he was the only one who had that, that on. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, I mean, Kathy was. Kathy's gonna wear a burka next time when she goes out there. <laughs> no, yeah, but but uh, we made it work. There was a moment of uh, of um, of uh, concern when we couldn't get the queen free from the uh, from the box. But uh, mm-hmm. anyway, bees are fascinating. Yeah, but we and, digress. And it, well, but, but the thing with the bees is just what we were saying before. You know, the environment is all intercalated. It's all entwined, and. When you go out and find out that if you don't have bees, you have no almonds. You have 
probably 60 or 70 plants that cannot yeah. grow in any industrial scale. Well, with without, bees and without other pollinators. The, uh, yeah, but yeah. bees being the main pollinators. Yep, yep, yep. Right. You know, so – and it's, it's just like climate. It's all a piece of one thing. It's very hard for us. To grasp. To grasp. And that's why people fall back on things like saying, oh, well, this is what God set up. You know? Something that's easier to grasp is tax cuts. Yeah. I hope. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I and think so, but. what we've known for a time here that what's, what, what we're seeing in Iowa with the, with the ascendancy of the Republicans, both legislatively and in the governorship, is just the you know, American legislative whatever. American uh, legislative exchange, exchange council. council. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's just the plan you've seen mm-hmm. before. Which is to uh, cut taxes, preferentially, of course, on those who are wealthier, uh, cut taxes on large businesses and then throw bones to small businesses, sort of like the pass-through that came through with the federal income tax. It turns out that it's almost useless to small businesses, but of course, it's highly useful to uh, large yeah. corporations. <clears throat> Um, yeah, but, and, you know. But, I mean, re- <clears throat> Republicans are doing this tax cut because they feel it's going to help them in the election. Oh, that that well, is payback to some of their supporters. Mm. But they do feel it's going to help them in the election. They feel they can package it in a way that most voters will say, okay, hey, they cut our taxes. That's We're correct. We're going to put them back in our office. No, that's correct. It's no different than the federal tax cut because that's all the Republicans nationally are going to be able to run on. They're but not going to do anything you know, for them. They'll believe it at some – but at <clears> some point it will be clear that, wait a minute, this didn't work out quite as well. I'm, my income is stagnant. Uh, the cost of living is going up. Um, you know, maybe maybe I'm the first generation not to do better than my parents, and my kids are certainly. It's looking like they're not going to do as well as I'm doing. Mm-hmm. But at some point, that adds up and begins to hit home. Well, you you know, it's not it's not like <clears throat> we're doing this for the first time. No, I know. All all you need to do is this experiment's been tried in 80s, various 90s, states, yep. various states recently, and, <clears throat> and we know, for instance, Kansas, which is a state that. It's fairly similar yeah, why, in many ways to why, Iowa. Why are you picking on Kansas? Well, because it is an, it's an agricultural state uh, with one large industrial uh, business, which is aircraft. Um, but basically an agricultural state, which was decimated by tax cuts. And what happened – That was under Brownback. Yeah, it was under Brownback. And yeah. you know, he couldn't get out of there fast enough once it be, became clear that he, <laughs> he had really collapsed the economy. And, and what happens is, is that, yes, there was initially, as predicted, some growth of uh, jobs. But – it's it's remember it's it's part of right to work and all the other factors that go into getting businesses to come into states. You bribe them to bring um, to bring the jobs to the states at a rate that's way in excess of the value. You know, I mean, the two things that are almost never worth it is bribing companies to come to your state and building football stadiums. Um, <laughs> you know, so it, yes. Remember, Foxborough was built without tax money. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and look but, at how that's gone. Right. But then again, Robert Kraft is a uh, Trump supporter. Uh, and and maybe Tom Brady, too. So, um, No, but I mean, it, it, it's it's the same thing. And and we knew it failed in Kansas. Brownback was, was you know, grounding around for a, a job federally to get out because he yeah. you know, used to be senator. And how, and how long did that take for that to – Five years. It took, it took five years. voters in Kansas five years right. to realize, oh, they, this they, tax cut was not such a good no, deal. No, because what happened was it was almost a total collapse of the educational system. There was no money. Mm-hmm. And so they, the Republican legislature there just raised taxes back to where they were before they were cut wow. so they could fund the education so system again. So Republicans had to do that. Right. I mean – That's got to be particularly hard for Republicans. Well, Ed, we understand what the plan is. The plan is that you, um, you cut taxes. You claim it's going to cause job growth. You then 
Trickle down. Yeah, right. Yeah. You then eviscerate the public employee unions, which are the main cost for these states. Right. You go Scott Walker on yeah, you public do, employees. Exactly. They've done, actually, and we've done, done states in Iowa. Right. Taken it, to it's, it's all part of the same plan, and it, in most cases ends up the same place, yeah. which is that you have to find the money somewhere else. So sales taxes will go up, and we know that sales right. taxes obviously are more regressive. Well, they tried to do that in Polk County. But. Right, but that was <laughs> – but again, it, it, against the backdrop of failing schools and other things, yeah. people will probably be willing to pay. You're probably going to see the interstate become uh, a toll road. No, that's not going to happen. I, no, I, I disagree. No, I, I think I, that no, is going to happen. I would bet you an entire hive of bees <laughs> that uh, the, the interstates in Iowa are, are never going to be toll roads. Well, we'll see. No. I'm not saying – To be perfectly honest, I have no problem with that. I mean you're the users. You're the ones who destroy the road, the truckers. Pay for it. Yeah. They don't pay for it. Yeah. You know, so um, – But it ain't going to happen. Well, we'll see. All right. You, you, should, should we place a wager on this in front of uh, our, our live audience? <laughs> okay. I, I'm not sure we should wager, though. No. <laughs> well, I'm not a beehive. I, I, right. Yeah, I, you have nothing to lose. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we can bet the beehive. I'll buy you a beehive. <laughs> but I'm not setting it up in my house. I don't know why. <laughs> well, I, I can squeeze it in back there, I'm sure. Yeah. No, so it's – I mean, but, you know, I think I – think, um, some of those Republican lawmakers voting for these tax cuts, they, they, they know what they're doing. They, they know mm-hmm. it's not – they know it doesn't pan out in history, right. in practice. But I think a lot of them are just being led along. They, they're, buying the, they're buying the argument. They, they aren't thinking it through. Uh, they're reading this. They're, it's a program. They're being fed the sound bites, and they're mm-hmm. they're believing it. Right. It's a. It, they, the voters, they're very they, programmatic. They bring it home, and they talk about it, and the voters believe it. Mm-hmm. But at some point, it fails because it's a scam. It mm-hmm. it, it's it's not it's not real, it doesn't work. Right. And at some point, people begin to see it. But but unfortunately, again, we talk about the tax cut under Reagan, which Bush ended up calling the the elder Bush called voodoo economics, mm. and which was proven to be failed. Right. Uh, you know, and then every but you know it works really well because every time they come back and have to raise taxes again, they raise them on people who uh, they don't they don't raise it on their buddies. The rich don't they get their taxes raised? It's the poor. The marginalized, well, the working folks. The problem is it's not just that you e- – even if you get some relief with taxes, when you lose services, it's always the same people who lose services. Yeah. And that's where they get hurt the most, right. not not in the tax well, The big picture is if you look at the economic stratification in this country, there's no – absolutely no – it's not – you can't argue that the upper crust are, are – there's a, there's, there's a smaller group of them and they're extremely wealthy. They've, they've hoarded so much more wealth and power. And there's a much bigger group at the bottom that are that are struggling like right. And, we, and actually, that would be something that'd be worth a couple segments. Maybe next time I come back and we can look at what's the actual data on that. All right, the real truth of that. Well, uh, Charles, thanks for joining us, folks. We've been talking with uh, Charles uh, Goldman here in the studio. We're gonna um, for you for those listening on our community-owned stations. Stay tuned. We got a little bit more to talk about. We. Um, we're going to talk about the U.S. bombing in Syria, which has gotten mixed reviews. We're also going to talk about the um, the uh, movements that are growing and pushing back against banks that are financing pipelines and other fossil fuel infrastructure projects. Thanks for tuning into the Fallon Forum again live every Monday at 11 o'clock Central Time. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Charles Goldman and myself, Ed Fallon, continuing the conversation, looking at what happened in Syria over the weekend where, what, 118, I believe, uh, U.S. Tomahawk cruise missiles uh, struck targets in Syria. Uh, the U.S. did this in conjunction with Britain and France. And, of course, um, 
the um, the French and the British uh, statements about it were uh, understandably favorable, mm -hmm. uh, as was uh, German Chancellor Angela Merkel's comment that the action was, quote, necessary and appropriate. And also, not surprising, um, uh, Fox News. Well, <laughs> Fox, Fox News, of course. They, they never met a bombing they couldn't get behind. Um, but, you know, Russia and uh, Iran, obviously, you know, being very critical of it. But, um, you know, here's, here's, the, here's the one comment in the USA Today, the, the, or the Associated Press article, mm -hmm. that's, that, that let it, the whole conversation up in the air. Uh, this is, um, uh, well, this is Chinese Foreign Minister um, Hua Chunying who says, um, quote, any unilateral military action that bypasses the Security Council runs contrary to the purpose and principles of the UN Charter. And then he goes on to say that, um, that, uh, that, he, you know, that, that he wants to uh, reserve, reserve, uh, resolve the Syrian conflict through dialogue and negotiation. Now, that, that's really good. That's really good, I think. Uh, I think China actually... Come, I'm, just, I'm sorry that it's so buried in this in the whole conversation. Maybe there's mm -hmm. a reason for that, but but that that to me is probably the best thing that got said by anybody about this. Well, if you listen to the um, Pentagon briefing, the first thing they said was this was not changing our strategy towards the Syrian war, which doesn't exist, um, and that this was not an attempt at regime change. This was a self-created crisis. Because the president once again uh, sees these images, and well, we have to do something. Um, it took him six days to do it, which gave the Syrians and the Russians and the Iranians plenty of time to empty out what, what they had to consider likely targets. And it's interesting because we're making a big deal of this, but the much bigger deal happened a number of weeks ago when the uh, firefight between the American troops and the 200 Russian mercenaries occurred. And what came out of that is that um, Voice of America played some uh, tapes of the communications from these mercenaries. They're, they're the Blackwater equivalent, the Russian right. Blackwater equivalent. And they were cursing out their own government for abandoning <laughs> them. And essentially, you have to In ask, Russian. Yeah, you have to ask the question, how is it that there was... There's essentially no resistance here. You know, there were planes involved in this that could have been shot down. Um, because the Russians aren't interested in going into World War Three over Syria. Well, and neither are, neither are the Americans. I mean, Haley, Correct. Haley, Haley, uh, Nikki Haley, U.S. ambassador to the U.N., um, stressed that the U.S. was, quote, not looking for war and not looking to kill people. Well, I Probably, yeah. yeah, I understand that. But 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 that's why it's so meaningless, and that's so contradictory to what what Trump was saying. What did, what did he say earlier? Like, look out, Russia, here we come. Right. I mean, well, it, yeah, we understand. At least there are a few people who speak, you know, reasonably, even if the um, even if the um. Well, here once again, what is the old strategy? Exactly. Here? There's, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that. Um, Wall Street took a bump, uh, you know, got a favorable bump out of this. And he gets I'm, an, I'm he, sure he tends to get an approval rating bump polls, because yes. he's showing we're strong. And because he's got Bolton on his side now, who is another one who's a crotch grabber in the sense of their own crotch, you know, which is that. <laughs> Not exclusively. <laughs> right. I don't know about Bolton and, <laughs> well, yeah, and other yeah, people's right. crotches. But the point is, is that it's all about American military might. Well, American military might has shown itself incapable of changing the realities on the ground in yeah. things that are not set-piece wars like World War II. 
yeah, I think it's interesting that the the mainstream press uh, concludes one long, you know, discussion, long mm -hmm. article about this with the quote from the Chinese foreign ambassador, which is a good one, and another article is concluded with a quote from Charles Glass. He's an author who specializes in the Middle East, and he says the Trump May Macron, the meaning of the mm -hmm. U.S., French, English bombardment of Syria did not kill many people, and it has not caused World War III. Again, reiterating what you know, Nikki Haley was saying. Right. But then he says, um, but far from ending the war in Syria, it is likely to prolong it. Now, that, that's, that's an interesting way to conclude an extensive coverage of an important foreign policy decision. <laughs> but, 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 I mean, that, that's, that, like, that like begs so much more conversation. So far from any war theory, and that conversation was actually had in New Yorker magazine um, the day after, in which they point out that we actually strengthen Assad because he says, "Look at these weaklings." Yeah, we and we are in the weakest position of all the major powers there. The question is, again, this is a proxy war for Russia and the United States. It's also a proxy war for Iran and Saudi Arabia, which is much of what goes on in the Middle East. There was a brilliant front line on a, couple, uh, a month ago about the history of the Iran-Saudi relationship mm -hmm. and, and competition. And you realize it, almost everything that's happened in the last 20, 30 years in the Middle East is about the two of them positioning against so each again, other. So again, the stated reason for the attack was to um, cut off the ability, uh, um, Assad's ability to engage in chemical warfare. Right. And your point is, this has no impact. It on has that no impact whatsoever. They, wouldn't that mean it has? It's going to have some limited impact because even if they could have moved some of their, you know, their most prized chemical weapon possessions out of those facilities, yeah, they still got the only thing that's going to have impact is ending the war. And what? the question is, how are we going to end this war? We're not going to end the war with military. Force. Okay, so what, what? What do you? Charles Glass says that it's going to actually prolong the war, right? Because it it strengthens Assad when he stands. He is seen as standing up to the United States. He says, "Okay, if that's who, all you got, what's who the cares? Big deal? Russia doesn't care. They're already right. You know, um, no, Iran it, doesn't care. Who cares? No, no, no. That's not true because it it radicalizes the Russian position in the sense that they now have to show the same strength that we have engendered by having dropped these missiles. So we, in fact, push them further away from what needs to be done, which is sitting down. And unfortunately, what's probably going to happen here is they're going to partition the country. And it's, that's... Who's going to partition the country? Turkey, the Russians, the Americans, and the Iranians. Because the Kurds, there, there's no way that the Americans can let the Kurds be involved you know, with a, a, a unified state because the Turks won't stand for it. Right. And so they're going to petition the country. Assad will control most of the western part of the country. The Kurds will get some enclave that we will be their protector. And then, you know. You, the, think, that, you, you think that's an inevitable outcome? It, it's, no different than, it's no different than what happened in Serbia. And so it's, uh, that, that, that outcome has been delayed and the war prolonged because of this chemical because of the, attack. Well, because the American interest in Syria ill-defined, and it's not just Trump's fault, it's been ill-defined since the, the Obama presidency. We don't have anybody who's an assistant secretary for the Middle East even at this point at the State Department. Has there been a war in the Middle East that has not been poorly defined? Well, of course. That's the whole point. <laughs> I mean, that's the whole point. We cannot solve the problem. With, and, and this is the way we do it. We do it to, with the least risk to ourselves. Well, here's the, you know, a bigger question. Maybe we don't have time to get into this in much detail, but a bigger question is we've had, um, you know, it used to be that the criticism of foreign policy in the Middle East was that the U.S. was going there to protect our oil or protect the oil that we wanted to purchase cheap 
mm-hmm. from oil-producing countries, OPEC. Right. Um, but now, you know, we don't need that oil anymore. We're exploiting it from our own country and ruining farmland and mm-hmm. and threatening waterways in the process. We're, we're getting a lot of it from the Alberta tar sands region of Canada. Right. So with the um, the ostensible justification of protecting our oil in the Mideast gone, why are we still there? It's a good question. That's a very good question. All right. Hey, we got to wrap up this uh, section of the uh, conversation. We'll be back in a minute with a little more talk here on the Fallon Forum. Just watch me smile. Fare thee well, me after all. All right, so, uh, you know, when Energy Transfer Partners sued Greenpeace and Bold Iowa and Earth Justice and a bunch of other organizations, um, they did that because those organizations had an impact. Actually, probably not Greenpeace, but uh, long story there, Greenpeace was kind of the big gorilla. That had very little to do with the fight, but they were an easy target. But the um, the bottom line is uh, energy transfer partners felt an impact from all the organizing that happened at Sandy Rock in Iowa, elsewhere across the country. And, uh, you know, that impact was on multiple levels. It was certainly on the level of, um, of the uh, protests, slowing down construction, you know, costing extra money in terms of security. Uh, costing extra, I mean, and it was also involved, I mean, landowners insisting that the process be followed um, by the letter of the law also impacted them. But the biggest impact was when people started pulling their bank accounts from the banks that were behind funding the pipelines. And that that was what really hit them hard. And now what we're seeing is more and more, you know, places across the country, local groups are pushing back against these banks by um, by, you know, by, by focusing on the shareholders' meetings. And we have two of those happening in the next two weeks. Mm-hmm. One of them in Albuquerque with, uh, with U.S. Bank. Yeah. And then one of them here in uh, Des Moines with Wells Fargo. Yeah, it's, it, it's interesting because that's, that's a big question about the whole notion of divestiture, you know, in, as another approach, which is large pension funds in particular, um, divesting holdings of companies for the same reason which is that it's not really clear that that's a strategy that works all that well because there's usually somebody to buy those shares anyway uh, or the company just buys them back with the money they got from the Trump tax cut. Um, so they, they lose their power as a shareholder to go to those meetings and try to make the changes through the democratic process. Right, and we don't expect that companies. to happen. What, what happens right. is, of course, you raise the public profile of the issue. Yeah, you you let more and more people know that hey, maybe you shouldn't be finance if you if you care about this issue, you should maybe move your money to a financial institution that uh, represents your values. That old black magic that you weave so well, those icy fingers up and down my spine. 